From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, hey, happy Friday to you, and welcome again to Open Line here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Jack Williams away. I'm Tom Price. Glad to be here along with our Friday host, America's favorite theologian, Mr. Colin Donovan. Good to be here. We were just talking about the weather, and we're still in the midst of summer. I keep looking for the fresh air to stop breezes, well, but we don't see them. There is a there is a very stupid joke going around, and it's, it's been going around probably for, a, I don't know, Ever since uh, Willis Carrier invented the air conditioning, that uh, summer is actually the coldest season in Alabama because everybody's got it cranked down to, you know, 68 degrees, 64 degrees. Uh, and so we're just we're just trying to get by, folks. So the people in the Northeast who are having a heat wave, we have some sympathy for them. Because Definitely. They don't have wall to wall air conditioning for the most part, I think, in the northern tier countries. Well, yeah. States of the yeah. U.S. And as you know, um, our, our brethren in Europe are really having a tough time. That's true. Yeah. Because a lot of homes don't have AC. And so, uh, you know, if you're not used to it, and now. We hear about roads buckling. I mean, this is this is real. And railways too, because they don't expect in in England. I was yeah. here seeing they don't expect the those temperatures, and so the rails are not strengthened with whatever alloys they sure. put in them to make them survive sure. that kind of situation. So, one more river to cross, but we'll all get through it, won't we? Here's we our phone number uh, for open line. If you have a question for Colin Donovan, eight three three. 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us, perhaps in Europe, maybe in the UK, here is uh, what you would do. Dial the U.S. country code. In most cases, that's going to be the number one. And then 205-271-2985. If you prefer, if you prefer send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. In the subject line, either put uh, Theology or Colin or Friday so that we can get uh, the right questions uh, to, the right, uh, to the right hosts. That's, that's how we do that. I'm going to lead off here, Colin, uh, with an email. This is from Brandon. When the Catholic Church says we should look at others with the eyes of God, how can I do that when I don't know how God would act towards someone? Well, from I mean, we get an idea of that from uh, Jesus. In fact, we, we look to him to give us an example of the face of God, as he said, you know, Phila, you've seen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. So we do, we can get that from the way that Jesus acts, with this distinction that there are some cases where uh, you might say he read them the riot act, not because this he's encouraging us to go out and do it, but that rather because... Uh, he could see their hearts, this true state of their conscience. Mm -hmm. This is for us the difficulty. We don't know the true state of their conscience. We don't know the formation they received, the familial development, Mm -hmm. uh, the socialization, to to use the jargon. We don't know any of that. The catechesis, if they're a Catholic. Um, So we have to err, I think, on the side of mercy. And I think that's the example that Jesus set, because it's too easy for us to decide as fallible human beings 
that we know the heart of the other person. Jesus actually knew it. We don't. And I think that has to temper all of our judgments of others and our criticism of others and and be patient with them as God has been patient with mm-hmm. mankind. Yeah. If you think about it, if you just went by, he's a sinner and he deserves divine retribution, we'd have lasted maybe not even that first mm-hmm. generation yeah. of human being. But now we are many thousands of generations later, we're still here be, precisely because God, who knows the heart of every human being who has ever lived, shows mercy for them. Now, there is a time of judgment, obviously, and there's a point at which he knows that they are intentionally seeking to, to sin and mm-hmm. to not do what mm-hmm. is right. Uh, but he will have his day. And so I think that's the difference there. We look and see how Jesus treated the average person, the average sinner, and if he treated some sinners more harshly than others, uh, it's because he knew exactly what was in their hearts, and we never do that. What better exemplar than Jesus? Not really. You know, the evangelicals had the "What would Jesus do?" bracelets yes. a number of years ago, which was a good, a good example of a motto to live by. What would Jesus do in this situation? Sure was. Brandon, thanks so much for your email. Here's one now from Gus. Dear Colin, why do Catholics kneel and pray? before images. Are they worshiping the images? Thanks and God bless, Gus. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a common misunderstanding that our non-Catholic brethren have. Uh, the prohibition of images was related to the creating of visible things which symbolize the invisible God. We have in Christ, God himself has made us an image, an icon, uh, St. Paul tells us he, he is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation. So in Christ, we have the idea of an image that represents, and in his case, is the real God. And it was entirely okay to bow down and worship mm-hmm. Christ for that reason. When we pray before a statue or we kneel in the, in the Mass, of course, we're kneeling before God because we believe that he's holy, truly, really, truly, and substantially present in the Holy Eucharist. When we kneel before a statue and pray, we do it as we would do a pleading to a, another human being in a desperate situation. As, you know, as people, if you want, if you want to, you know, really show a person that you des- deserve and desiring of their largesse, you might just get down on your knees, you know, and plead and plead and plead to them. Uh, as the woman and the unjust judge in the parable that yes, Jesus told. Yes. So that's what we're doing with holy people whom we believe and know to be God through the charism of the church. Uh, we ask them, we pray, and we plead with them to pray for, to, for us. And so the image represents them because, as I said, in Christ we know that there is a difference now in, in what images represent. In him they, they, of him they represent the God who became man and took our, our very nature. And so before an image, as we might before the loved one, uh, uh, the photograph of a loved one who is, who is distant or deceased, we might kiss it and, and, you know, and, and speak to them as if they were present. It's a very human thing to do. Uh, so the prohibition of the second commandment or is still uh, the first commandment is still there, uh, but it applies uh, knowing that context in which it was given and the difference context that the incarnation uh, has created. And indeed, this debate was done in the early church, and the 
the possibility of prayer to the saints and of images of Christ, the Blessed Mother, the apostles and the saints and so on, uh, was affirmed by the church as not violating uh, that commandment. Very good. Lines are open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. They are filling up, but we've got one for you at 833-288-3986. Robert in Pennsylvania says, I'm a brand new convert. Can you please help me understand what I see to be three distinct ways to obtain forgiveness for sins? One, simply asking for forgiveness in prayer. Two, the broad absolution during the penitential act in Mass. Three, the sacrament of penance in confession to a priest. Why all three, and what's the difference? Okay. Well, let's start with the which obviously Christ uh, instituted, and that's the sacrament of penance. And so he said on that first night uh, uh, after of Easter, he said, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. He created a positive precept, which means that bring your sins to the church, as he would later, uh, would later have in St. James, if you have your sick, bring them to the priest. So the priest is the instrument, the church is the instrument of Christ's ministry of healing. And the principal healing is spiritual and not physical. And even in the anointing of the sick, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's also the case there. So we are obeying Christ when we bring our, our sins to be absolved in the confessional. That's not the only way that the church recognizes that sin can be absolved. Even mortal sin can be absolved outside the confessional when we have a true sorrow for, uh, for our sins, what the church calls perfect contrition. Mm-hmm. And that means that we are sorry because it's an offense of God. And when we commit a sin, we may not have access to confession. We can simply make that then with confidence that it will be uh, forgiven. But we still have the precept of Christ to comply with. And so then we bring the matter of that sin to the church to be officially, and to hear those most consoling of words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the way that any Christian in circumstances where they can't confess, either because they don't believe the church, the confession is a a true sacrament, Mm -hmm. as our non-Catholic friends don't, uh, and if they make an act of uh, true contrition, God will forgive them their sins. And so finally, even asking in prayer, we can do that as they can. And so those are the ways. Finally, the absolution in the Mass is for venial sin. It's not ah. an absolution for mortal sin. Okay. And so it doesn't relieve us of the obligation to confess all grave sin to the Church and receive the absolution which Christ established for grave sin. Thanks for your email, Robert. Lots more straight ahead on Open Line Friday. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, I don't have to tell you, it is Friday, and that means Colin Donovan is with us today here on Open Line. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. We do have two lines open, 
288-3986. So how are you listening to us today? You might be listening on satellite radio or online, EWTN.com. Maybe you're listening on the app. Uh, a wonderful way to listen to EWTN is on an AM or FM Catholic radio station, which is a, a real important force in the local community. Um, uh, and a local radio station can do things perhaps between programs, uh, let you know what's going on in your diocese, in your parish, that you're just not going to get anywhere else. Now, if you don't have a Catholic radio station in your neck of the woods, you can find out how to start one uh, right there where you live, powered by the truth of the Church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming, like this show. Email our friend Steve at this address. Here it is, radio at EWTN.com, radio at EWTN.com. Steve will see your email. He'll get back with you and uh, hopefully get the ball rolling right there where you live. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with the very patient Jerry in Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Happy Friday to you, Jerry. What's on your mind today, sir? Hi, good afternoon. Howdy. <clears throat> I, my question is, is part of Matthew's Gospel, he, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly. He talks about having a, a demon removed from your soul or a, a sin removed, and then the demon goes off and has nowhere to go and comes back and finds the house swept clean, and he brings seven more. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that interpreted as if we're if we get rid of a habitual sin, we have to be concerned about it coming back with more dangerous sins? I think there's a certain implication of that. I don't think we need to be too literalistic. Um, Obviously, in cases of possession, uh, there you might have a literal uh, example of that. But look at it from this this point of view. And I think uh, it's actually a very good question, Tom, for today, because it's the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons... And the question has, uh, you know, arose as to what those seven demons were. They were, were they actual demons, or they were, or were they demons representing the seven capital sins, or is it simply referring to being uh, habitually guilty of the seven capital sins? And I think that kind of an implication can be here. If a person is possessed and the house swept clean, obviously you would think that they need to be a little bit more careful. What? One of the things the exorcists always do is they ask, they, they, they que- they're allowed to question the devil only or the demon only in certain areas, such as how did you come to possess this person? That tells them a good deal of information. So by following certain paths in life, especially in the occult, but also through some of the grave sins, one can find oneself encountering uh, and even being possessed by by demons. So it can have a literal meaning like that. But it can also mean just that by habitual sin, we always must be on our guard because there's those seven big boys out there lurking around yeah. that want us to, to get us and turn us from the path of virtue. So I think you can look at it in, in a quite literal way with respect to um, uh, people who are possessed, uh, Mary Magdalene. She spent her life doing penance, we are told. She went mm-hmm. to the south of France. I've actually been where the cave of uh, where she lived in expiation for her sins in uh, over the mountains from Marseille. Really? And uh, 
she did that because she knew precisely the point I think the Lord was making here. She had to be perpetually on her guard lest she fall victim mm. to the same demons or same sins, either mm-hmm. either of those could apply, that possessed her in the first place. And I think this is a good warning for all of us and a good day to have that warning. So I think it can be taken in, in, in all of those ways, Jerry. There you go. Jerry, thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. One line open for you at 833-288-3986. Maria is listening in Houston on the Great uh, Great Guadalupe Radio. Hey, Maria, what's on your mind today? Yes, hi. Hi, thank you for uh, taking my call. Um, my daughter uh, got married in California um, about 15 years, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. and by a priest, so-called, she found him online because she wanted to get married by, you know, in a hotel, pretty by the beach, whatever, and she just uh, thought he was doing good by getting a Catholic priest, so-called, uh, traveling priest, he said he was, and that that's how they, uh, he got, she got married. Uh, since, since then, unfortunately, she's now divorced, but she was wondering if that was the sacramental marriage or or not, since it was it was in the church. Yeah. It was not on the church. Uh, no, Catholics are bound to what is called the Catholic form, and that means a marriage that follows the niceties of getting the permissions of the church from those mm-hmm. from whom those positions must be obtained. Mm-hmm. That is the pastor of of the Catholic party or of either part either pastor if you have two Catholic parties from two different parishes or even two different dioceses. So uh, in order to be married in some place other than a sacred place, a church or chapel, or to be married before a Protestant minister or another uh, minister of a different religion, Mm -hmm. uh, each of those constitute dispensations that are needed for that. So what you've described seems highly unlikely to have been a valid marriage for a Catholic obliged to do all those things. Uh, And there would be, it might be an easy way to check that. Certainly, uh, if she wants to marry in the church to, uh, if she was married in the church, then it will be registered in the, the, the parish where she uh, belonged. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dispensations will be registered there or at the <clears throat> diocese. And so that kind of information can be sought out. But I think the easiest thing is if uh, she wishes to marry in the church uh, in the future is to go to the tribunal of the diocese in which she lives, and they will do that investigation, and uh, they will tell her whether she is uh, free to marry or not. Uh, it sounds suspiciously mm, like yeah. she probably is, yeah. but you would need to have that verified before being married in the church if she wished to do that in the future. Maria, thanks so much for your call. Hope that's helpful for you. Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. One line open at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We're going now to Peggy, a first-time caller in Louisiana, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Hello, Peggy. What's on your mind today? Hello. Um, I want to know if I'm going to see my aborted babies in heaven mm-hmm. because I have gone to confession. I did participate in Rachel's Vineyard 
and they had a spiritual baptism, but I always was told that they had to be in limbo because they weren't baptized, and, uh, you know, a lot of regret and hurt and mm-hmm. guilt. I just look forward to seeing them in heaven. Yeah, no, and I think a, a lot of women, and, and probably the fathers of children, too, you know, wonder about that. Um, the, the church takes a position, but it, it's not one that it can do with any certainty, because we know from the teaching of our Lord that baptism is the ordinary way of, of going, being predisposed to be received in the kingdom of heaven, you know, mm-hmm. unless you are born again of water and the Holy Spirit, the two elements of baptism, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So that is the that is the the necessary means of of our salvation. Now the church acknowledges that those uh, are baptized by desire who wanting to uh, become uh, be baptized die from sickness or even persecution mm-hmm. before they can satisfy that uh, that desire, or by blood that in the on the pathway to be being baptized they are martyred for the faith. Uh, then that would be uh, that would be a way baptism by blo- blood. Uh, the idea of a limbo was invented to uh, as a theological solution to this problem that God doesn't send anyone to hell who is not personally guilty of grave sin. To commit grave sin, we generally you must be of the age of reason. So you know, at beginning at the age of seven or so, and there'll be individual cases there. Uh, children with mental development issues may not ever attain that, um, be throughout their life basically innocence in that respect. So clearly uh, aborted children, uh, babies that die in miscarriages and so on that aren't baptized, there's that open question. Mm -hmm. They're not guilty of sin that they're deserving of hell, but yet they've not satisfied the means that Christ established for, for... getting into heaven. And so limbo is a a place after the pattern of the limbo of the patriarchs where Abraham and Isaac and Japheth and all the great patriarchs, kings and prophets and just people, men and women of the old law went before Christ came and released them from that prison to take them up to heaven, including Joseph and St. John the Baptist and those who died during Christ's own lifetime on earth. Mm -hmm. And so it's a theological... uh, solution to this problem, but the ultimate solution is the hand of God. And the general view of the church today, the general approach is to confide them to the mercy of God, and we leave that in his hands. So I think that should give you hope, Peggy, that you might. And even if they're in a place of natural happiness, I think that um, the just would be able to see the people in that place, if such a place uh, does exist, and we mm-hmm. don't know the answer to that question. As I said, it's a theological uh, solution to a difficult problem. So uh, at least you know that they can't go to hell. Uh, I'm glad that you provided that you won't either for taking their life. Uh, but we leave to God and to His mercy the, you know, the solution to whether they will be in heaven. But I think whether in heaven or a place of, of, of repose that is naturally happy, uh, you would have the chance to see them. All right. Peggy, is that helpful for you? It's very helpful. I, I, I do ask them to pray for me. 
And, of course, I did ask them prayerfully for their forgiveness. Sure, sure. And that's that's the perfect approach in that matter that can be encouraged of all women who finally, uh, you know, decide that yeah. this was a terrible mistake that yeah. I made. And God is merciful to, to you, and God will be merciful to them. Of that, we can be sure. God bless you, Peggy. Thank you so much for your call. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Manuel in the beautiful town of Williston, North Dakota. Also, Elaine in Chicago. Cynthia in Michigan, couple of lines open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Friday with Colin Donovan on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, glad you're with us for Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Uh, Looks like one line open right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we can uh, probably get you on today's program, 833-288-3986. And we'd like to say hello to everybody listening to us today on Clarkston Catholic Radio. That is KFUZ in Clarkston, Washington. Our thanks to John Fazari working with Clarkston Catholic Radio this week celebrating their seventh anniversary. So congratulations from all of us here at EWTN Radio. Let's go to Chicago right now for Elaine, listening on the EWTN app. Hey, Elaine, what's on your mind today? Oh, how you doing? Howdy. I was asking to find out what do you say to a person when they say they're saved, no matter what they do? Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, you know, if that was the case, would, wouldn't Judas be saved, for starters? Yeah. Um, you know, he went to the place that was prepared for him, but yet he was a disciple of the Lord, a close associate of the Lord. He benefited from all the other op- the op- same opportunities of grace and privilege that all the apostles had. What about St. Paul, who worried that uh, having preached to, to many, he, he himself might be lost? Was his concern to be lost illegitimate? Uh, what about the many remonstrations in Scripture to persevere in, you know, in fear of the Lord? Is that really necessary if we're once saved, all this, always saved? So the idea of once saved, uh, always saved, is actually a construction of the last several hundred years. Uh, not really known in the Church uh, before that, um, I suppose, unless you were a Pelagian who thought that, you know, you managed to save yourself and you didn't need much more beyond your own works to do that. Uh, but so th- there's not really his- any historical basis for that, and there's uh, precious little scriptural basis mm-hmm. uh, other than distortions of the text. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense because it's one thing to have the virtue of hope. Hope tells us that resting on God's power, I hope, and we all understand what hope is, I'm surely that doesn't need to be parsed by most people, I hope in God's power that I will persevere in grace till the end of my life. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can hope, can we not lose hope? Sure. People lose faith all the time. We see it among our friends and relatives. We see it throughout history. Mm Mm-hmm. We people lose charity. They don't manifest charity. The greatest of virtues, not hope, not faith, charity. Mm-hmm. 
they lose that. We have many examples of that in our own circles, in our own selves, in our sins that we do, where we forget God and we think only of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to lose hope in God, to despair, as Judas did. And so that, that's the, the danger. It's not logical. It's not really scriptural. Um, and yet people assert it. And I find think it's actually a, quite a prideful assertion because it suggests maybe that I'm so particularly loved by God and I can do nothing to offend him. Well, I assure you, dearie, whoever, whoever were to ask you that question of you, <laughs> our caller, uh, you could say, well, I assure you, dearie, if you offend God seriously enough, he's going to be angry. You bet. Um, and we know the kinds of sins that makes him angry. We know the kinds of sins that put you in the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, those are not those are not easy threats. Uh, those are serious threats that the Lord made because even those who have been justified by their faith and through baptism can lose that and fail. St. Paul worried about it, and we ought to too, and constantly turn to God, asking his grace, asking his forgiveness for our sins. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the great things about the Catholic Church is we have a, an orderly and almost systematic way of strengthening the virtues, of seeking forgiveness when we did need it, of reminding ourselves of our need for forgiveness, whether mm -hmm. it's in the Mass. We mentioned the absolution in the Mass, yes. in the, in the Confidior, the, uh, the Curie, and so on. We're asking God all the time in the, in the Church because we know we are dependence is entirely on Him. That's the virtue of hope. That's what hope is all about. So um, I, I think those are the kinds of answers you have to give um, most of them, they would not be able to find anybody before about 1800 or 1700 that yeah. believed that. Yeah. Uh, you certainly won't find it in the early church. You don't really find it in the scriptures where that's, there's that sense of regardless of what I do. So uh, it doesn't make any sense, really. No, it doesn't. Most of all. Elaine, we hope that's helpful for you. Thank you so much for your call. Here is Cynthia now in Michigan, listening on the great Ave Maria Radio. Hello, Cynthia. What's on your mind today? Yeah, hi. Um, I was wondering about um, when a woman has a miscarriage early in pregnancy, um, they can usually like go to a hospital and have surgery to um, remove the, the tissue and mm -hmm. the baby, mm -hmm. um, or they can... Uh, have the miscarriage naturally, like at home. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, in either situation, the the baby would be disposed of as, like, you know, medical waste at the hospital or, you know, mm -hmm. in the toilet, most likely. Um, and I'm just, you know, at home. Uh, so I'm wondering, is either situation okay, or does the church um, say there's a, a way that, you know, the child's body should be cared for or... Like that. Sure, uh, it it it's it's a human being, so there should be uh, obviously circumstances have a lot to do with it. You know, you're in you're in the hospital. Um, I mean, they're going to treat it as biological material. They have obligations to the law with respect to how that's treated. I've I'm not sure. I've not, never heard whether you can ask for the remains in that situation. I suspect that you can. Possibly. Whether they would comply with that request, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, you know, give the some kind of a burial. I know that 
There are certainly prayers and rites for uh, miscarried, but I'm not sure exactly uh, how that would relate to a funeral. So I think it, it's a bit of an open question, de- mm-hmm. depending on circumstances. Um, uh, I do know, because my own mother had a miscarriage uh, when I was a teenager, and that she made sure that she would ta- took the material to the physician because they for, they want first of all I know that from a medical point of view they want to know if that's everything of the child right because you can get sepsis and oh, obviously yeah. by decay and and so on mm-hmm. inside the woman so there are good reasons to do that yep. certainly in the beginning and not just you know flush it away if that's sure. But again, circumstances and what's possible in the moment mm-hmm. is a big consideration, and certainly whether it's at home or in the hospital. Thank you, uh, Cynthia, so much for your call. It is uh, Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Uh, Teresa is listening in St. Louis on the Great Covenant Network. Teresa, what's on your mind today? Well, I would like to know how come other churches don't have Jesus on the cross. You know, Catholics do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to know how come they don't put Jesus on the cross, because after he suffered, you know, so bad, people need to see Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Well, that's certainly my feeling, and yeah. that's certainly the churches. Part of it goes back to the earlier question someone had about images. For uh, at the time of the Reformation, not all of the churches uh, in the in the Church of England, it wasn't. I mean, there was a very there was a bit of a Protestantizing move there as well, but it's primarily in the um, in the Protestant churches on the continent. Yeah, uh, there was some. Of course, in England, there was some smashing of, of images and things like that as well. But mm-hmm. that that's very much connected with the Protestant Reformation and by a reading of the Bible which gives to no authority living the right to interpret the Scriptures. In other words, that, I don't know, would they have denied to the apostles at the Council of Jerusalem the right to interpret the old law and how it applied today? That's basically what Protestants did in the Reformation. They Mm -hmm. denied to the Catholic Church the authority Christ gave it, and therefore they denied to the church the authority to decide that the application of the commandments of the old law, in this case, didn't apply to images. So in that sense, it was popular to destroy and smash images in the low, the Protestant countries uh, after, after the Reformation. So the crucifix would obviously be part of it. But you've given a very good uh, approach on that because we need this reminder we really do, Teresa, need this reminder of what Jesus suffered for us. Now, the Spanish get very carried away. They have some very gory-looking crucifixes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's—I'm not Spanish, but my <laughs> wife is. I'm not sure how she feels about those. I'll have to ask her. Do that. You know, but some milder representation of what Jesus suffered is certainly, at least for our nor- northern European types, it's a, it's a good— It's fitting. It's a good reminding. It's yeah. a, a fitting, so much yeah. so that— Priest, uh, the church is told that in the Mass there should be a crucifix in order to reflect upon mm-hmm. uh, the sufferings of our Lord. So I think it maybe goes along with the question on hope. If we're going to have hope in the power of God, that constant reminder of where that hope is in. It's not in us. Yep. It's not in I'm saved and that's all one and done. It's not one and done. There's the man, the God man. He did it. 
I need the reminder. He's the one that I get the grace from. He's the one that's going to help me persevere to the end. He's the one who died on the cross for me. And we need that reminder. And we have it in our Catholic churches. Preach it, brother. Amen. (laughs) Teresa, thank you so much for your call. And that's a, a great call. Appreciate that. Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Uh, tomorrow you can join us for EWTN Bookmark on the radio side. That's tomorrow afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. This week, Doug Keck talks with uh, Father Jeffrey Kirby. He's the author of Manual for Suffering. They'll be talking about how our suffering doesn't have the last word and how through Christ it actually becomes a good. So do check that out. <clears throat> Again, that's uh, tomorrow uh, with Father Jeffrey Kirby, Doug Keck's EWTN Bookmark at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, right here exclusively on EWTN. Back to Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. Here is John in Hudson Valley, New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hello, John. What's on your mind today, sir? Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Sure. I wonder if my sins or my lifestyle or something to that effect, my sins could be reflected against someone else specifically a family member. Mm-hmm. Well, they can't have your guilt for your sins, obviously. Yeah. But that your, our sins affect other people, they certainly do. Uh, the Church gives acknowledgement of that when it speaks of scandal, that if my, my sins give to another individual the sense that, oh, it's all right to do that. You know, we've talked a good deal about aborted babies mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. In addition to the sin of abortion and the taking of the life of a child, there's the denial of baptism and the scandal to others, a scandal given by acts of abortion, but also by laws which supported abortion mm-hmm. and do still in some places support abortion. That abortion mm-hmm. is A-OK, is just all right. That's, the, that's what scandal means. And so when we do something, uh, you know, we, we don't go to Mass on Sunday because, oh, we just, you know, don't feel like it that day. We give scandal to others, to our children, to mm-hmm. our neighbors, maybe, our co-workers who know, oh, I, you don't go to Mass all the time. Why is that? Well, they're sort of getting the idea it's not important to you, obviously. Somebody's always watching. Somebody's always watching, but it also is gives the implication to others who are not well-formed in moral or faith or doctrine or other things that, okay, it's okay. Here's, you know, here's Tom, a good Catholic, and he's doing X, Y, Z. So therefore, it must be all right for good Catholics to do X, Y, Z. So that's what our sins do. Now, in the long term, they can have an even greater effect. There's obviously the historic element to it. We're never guilty. Uh, you know, there was the, I think it was in Jeremiah who, who speaking of the time of the Messiah, uh, You'll, you'll see in the Old, Old Testament the idea of teaching what the cost of sin is. And one of the things that the Lord taught the Israelites the cost of sin was, and that is guilt goes down to the fourth generation, not meaning that necessarily that everybody is morally guilty, but the consequences of sins go down to the fourth generation. And to a certain extent, because of the, the ties between, the social ties between individuals, we, so, we share a collective guilt. Mm-hmm. Here in the United States, in democratic governments, where we're electing our own leaders, we're, we don't have kings to do it without asking our permission. We have elected leaders doing things with, theoretically, our permission. We're going to share in their sins. Now, particular leaders, we, we may not be agreeing with what they're doing. 
But certainly as a nation, we can certainly say that the majority has certain a role in determining the fate of a nation before God. So that's a big consideration for that kind of sin. But what Jeremiah said specifically to, to your point, uh, John, is that no longer, speaking when will sins be guilty, the person be guilty down to the fourth generation, mm. but each man will for his own sins. That's the Christian principle. I'm not guilty for the sins of my ancestors. I'm not guilty for Tom's sins, for other social sins, on the moral level. But you can't cut away and destroy and eliminate the social consequences. For example, in the United States, you can't say that there have not been any social consequences for slavery in our country. That doesn't mean that we're guilty in the modern times of, of slavery or that we ought to be guilty, morally responsible for the slavery of previous generations, but we live with the consequences still. Mm -hmm. And so we have a moral responsibility and solidarity with our brothers and sisters uh, in the country to try to resolve those issues. So dealing be different, make distinctions, I guess I can say, John, that no, we're not each morally responsible for the sins of the other unless we have led them to sin by scandal or cooperated with sin in a certain way, formally or in some materially. But we can have a social responsibility for sins which have social consequences. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of distinctions in moral theology to be made there. But in and of itself, no, we're not we're not morally guilty of the sins of the other unless through scandal we have helped cause them. John, thanks so much for your call. Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Let's go to uh, Colorado now and talk with Maureen, listening on the EWTN app. Hey there, Maureen. What's on your mind today? Uh, I have a quick question um, about purgatory. I know that when you're in purgatory, um, you cannot pray for yourself. Others have to pray for you, or anyway, that's what I've been taught. Mm -hmm. My question is, the souls that are in purgatory, if there's any place in our religion where it states that the people there can comfort each other in their suffering? I think theoretically you might say that. I think there's a general idea that the Blessed Mother, the guardian angel, the individual, could comfort the soul. Uh, but... In terms of praying, they can pray for others. There's a great tradition of seeking the prayers of the poor souls, asking them to pray for us, and of offering our prayers for them, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think in terms of comforting each other, that's probably theoretical. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if what some of the mystics have said on that. But remember, what mystics have said may be conformable with church teaching, but be in holes in that church teaching where the church has not taught anything specifically. And I think that would be the case here. So on a certain theoretical level, I think there might be the possibility of comforting, All right. and, but probably not praying, since I think we usually think of that as they can pray for us and we can pray for them. They can't pray for themselves, we know. Very good. Maureen, thanks so much for your call. Rita is listening in Grand Rapids on Holy Family Radio. Rita, what's on your mind today? Well, I have two uh, brief questions, and uh, one of them is, uh, as far as when, when we pass away, there's, she was just talking about purgatory or, mm -hmm. or heaven, 
or uh, so okay my my question is when we pass away because i hear both things in the church and i'm a cradle catholic i hear where okay when 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 jesus was on the cross and the criminal the one criminal said to him you know how sorry he was and that you are the christ and so on and jesus said to him today you will be with me in paradise so did that mean today when they died he would be with him in paradise or like we talk and we hear it at funerals in other places sometimes in church that you hear that but also you hear that you know at the end of the world then we will either go to purgatory or to hell so my thought is and either way it doesn't really matter to me mm-hmm. it's what jesus wants yeah. but like when you said, today you will be with me sure. in paradise. Okay, well, and, you, and you also had another question? Yes, and the other question is about Judas. Um, they say, you know, he's in hell, and so on and so forth. But what, what I read is he did take back the money. They wouldn't take it, and he threw it at him. He, you know, to me that would mean he felt sorry and wanted to be forgiven for his sins. And then it said he went out and... uh, Okay. Hung himself. uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, on the first part, um, two different realities then and today. In Jesus' time, the paradise, uh, what is meant by paradise in in the Greek, would be referring to what is meant in the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' parable about Lazarus and the rich man as the bosom of Abraham. In other words, it's the limbo of the patriarchs, the limbo of the just such as existed from the beginning of the world until Christ opened heaven at his ascension. So St. Joseph was there, John the Baptist was there, King David was there, all the just men and women of the Old Covenant, Mm -hmm. uh, going back to Adam and Eve, were there. And then they weren't there when they left with Jesus, and he brought them in train, as, as, as suggested by one of the Psalms. So... That paradise is different from when a person dies today. Today, if a priest canonizes the person at the Mass, I would wince because that person needs prayer. We don't know who is in heaven. Uh, Even the popes, even John Paul II, now called St. John Paul II and Paul VI and John XXIII, all saints now, they had funeral masses, masses offered for them that their sin, the, the temporal debt of their sins be paid. In other words, that in lieu of purgatory, that debt be paid. Mm-hmm. We should make that assumption of every Catholic who dies, of every Christian who dies. For the same reason, many Catholics, they pass a cemetery of whatever religion to say a prayer for the dead there uh, because Imagine all the poor Protestants who have nobody praying for them because they were once saved, always saved. <laughs> example. Yeah. <laughs> nobody pray for them except those poor, stupid Catholics driving by in cars <laughs> and the eight-year-old kid saying, oh, mommy, shouldn't we be saying, oh, yeah, we should be praying yeah. for, the, you know, the, yeah. for the poor souls. So while we, we still, stupid Catholics, ought to still pray for our poor souls, even as the poor souls, as well as our deceased relatives, you know, even our beloved ones we considered saints in this life. So uh, paradise is a different thing there. And so the good thief went to paradise 
with our Lord, who, as we say in the creed, descended into hell, mm-hmm. meaning the lower regions, not into the hell of hells, right. into the lower regions in order to say what I imagine John the Baptist already told him. He's coming. He's coming. And then Jesus comes mm-hmm. and he's here. Yep. You know, so they were waiting and they got the reward and they had the time until the resurrection and the ascension, uh, at least to the resurrection with him. And then with the ascension, they went, they went into the glory of the Father. Yeah. And so that's that paradise. And, but today, we, that's not the paradise that we look for. And at the end of the world, uh, when we die, if we are just, um, hopefully our relatives are still praying for us, but if we are just and we go right to heaven and we're no temporal debt to pay, then we will see God from that instant on. Or if we go to purgatory, we'll see God from when that debt has been paid on. Uh, and at the end of the world, we'll get our bodies back. And then uh, we're told in uh, the the book of Revelation, the universe will be a paradise, a new heavens and a new earth. Yes. And it will, the the glory of man will share in the glory of the universe God created and which fell at the fall of the angels and of of Adam and Eve. And so we, uh, we can all look forward to that day. As for Judas being in hell, well, he hung himself and he was clearly despaired of his salvation um, the church does not reprobate him, although I can't see any basis for thinking that he isn't in hell. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. But the church, even today, a bad person dies. We don't say Hitler's in hell. We don't say Stalin's in hell. We don't say Mao Zedong is in hell. I'm pretty confident they all are, but who knows? In that last moment, they may have changed their mind. Mao was baptized Catholic, I believe, or at least had been trained by Catholics. I think by you're Catholics. right. I think you're right. So we, we can hope for the best, but, you know, realism tells us probably not very likely. Yeah. So, Rita, thank you so much uh, for your call. We could not get to Dave in Columbus, Ohio. Dave, I apologize, but we just, uh, you know, flat ran out of time. As you can hear, the music is playing. However, we will try to uh, get to your question one day next week, so please keep listening to Open Line. And uh, Colin Donovan, thank you so much, my friend. You're welcome. Good to be here. Hope that you have a good weekend and stay you cool. Too. Yes. My yes. goodness. It is uh, not a good Steamer. day to be out there, uh, you know, mowing the lawn. So we'll give you a pass on that. Oh, good. Yes, yes, yes. We hope everybody has a wonderful weekend, and we hope everybody stays nice and comfortable. Uh, And keep listening to EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. I'm Tom Price. Have a great one, and God bless.